Welcome to the EIM Global Podcast, the place where we speak to experts from across education, academia and industry, so we can contribute to the professional conversations happening in our community now. The discussions we have and insights shared by guests help develop our own thinking and work and hopefully spark further dialogue for other educators too, as they reflect on their practice and the students they work with. In this episode, we're speaking to Tanya Latanzio. Tanya is an experienced international educator, previously a teacher, coordinator and manager with the International Baccalaureate. She is now Director of Innovative Global Education. In this role, Tanya works as an educational consultant throughout the world, coaching, mentoring and working closely with leadership and teacher teams. A passionate educator, Tanya works closely with educational institutions to specifically meet their needs through supporting school reform, making significant shifts in pedagogy and developing conceptual curriculum frameworks in both local and international settings. Tanya has worked with schools and teachers from early childhood through to high school. In this episode, we cover everything from Tanya's thoughts on how student agency is affected by school design, perceiving classrooms as a community of learners, inquiry learning, embedding transferable skills in learning design, students as resources from each other, and of course, much more. But enough from me, let's hear from our guest today, Tanya. Tanya, welcome. Great to have you here with us today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Pleasure. Where are you uh, talking to us from today? I'm talking to you from Singapore um, around Marina Bay. So I'm living in that area. And yeah, I've been in Singapore now for coming up to 17 years. So it's um, it's home, definitely. Fab. We're, We're super excited to chat to you today. I know you've done some fabulous work across many of the schools in Asia and beyond, but particularly with the EIM group of schools as well. Um, but I think you've, you've had a really interesting journey from, if I get this right, you know, originally in a school and, and classroom context and then through IB and to what you're doing today with you know, IGE. So I'd just love to hear from you. you know, how did that journey pan out? You know, what, what was your experience moving through those different roles and, and seeing education through the different lenses that that's afforded you? So I started off as, as a teacher and just had this love of traveling and then found out about international teaching. So I was in Australia teaching and then I moved to Indonesia and I taught there for three years. And while I was, it was an IBPYP school. And so they were implementing this program and I became the coordinator then. And back then within Asia Pacific, there weren't that many IB schools. And so being able to implement that at that point just taught me so much about inquiry, about what it means to teach through inquiry, about that whole idea of giving students choice, giving them that ownership of their learning, allowing them to have choices in what they learn, when they learn and how they learn. And so from there, what happened is um, I became an IB workshop leader and I moved to Vietnam as the PYP coordinator at Eunice Hanoi. And then from there, I actually moved into the IB office. So when I worked at the IB office, I was one of the managers there. So I was doing a lot of school visits. We were doing all the workshop leader training. And um, then my role became professional development, which I loved doing a lot of training the trainers, a lot of work in schools and sort of realized how much I loved that role, um, giving you that opportunity to learn. I mean, I think whenever you go into school, even though you're the one going in for the professional learning, it's a reciprocal approach. You always come out learning something yourself as well, which is so powerful. And so, you know, you have this amazing opportunity to just go to these schools globally 
and and just you know really hone in on what's happening and not only is it an educational journey it's also that journey of understanding people of places and I think you know that idea of, of just learning about the world and how the world is and how it works is just such an incredible joy I'm amazingly privileged to get to do what I do yeah I hear you the uh, privilege is, is spot on there isn't it I, I've had the, the luck to be you know working with a number of different schools myself in, in recent years and, and doing professional learning as well in, in lots of different spaces and uh, yeah every time I, I go into a school or, or have an opportunity to speak to educators across those schools as you said you, you take something away and you, know, you leave richer for it and of course there's a wonderful sort of positive cycle there because that, that then gets spread across you know the further schools that you have the opportunity to work with and talk to so yeah very very much on the same page on that one you know you mentioned student agency there I'd love to just perhaps start with that and thinking about what we're doing and thinking a lot about in EIM at the moment thinking of students as uh, I guess designers of meaning you know meaning making and partners in in learning and learning design I think for me it, it seems that agency is somehow inherent within that but nonetheless it's a it's a slippery concept and, and people think about it in a number of different ways so for you you know how do you think about student agency and I suppose you know why is it important to you know the work that you've been doing what happens in schools is very very often the educators have decided what students should learn, whether that's coming from a curriculum or whether that's coming from a school. They've decided when they should learn it through the structures that exist in timetables, for instance, and how they should learn it because then the teacher's designing. And so what you have in schools is you have a lot of very much systems and things in place where students don't get a lot of agency just because of the way schools are somehow set up. And so when I talk about agency, I do talk about it through that idea of, well, where are we giving students choice? But choice is very different from voice. And I think that's what people lose track of. We can give students choice and we can say, well, you can learn like this or like this or like this. But when we're giving students voice, we're actually giving them that power to make decisions. And that's where I think it can look very, very different. This idea that we create policies for students, but don't involve them in it. And so to me, I really see that agency is that voice being actually real. And how often are we seeing that? Fab, have you, I suppose this is thinking back really to a, a previous podcast that, that we had recently talking to Dr. Lim Fay here in Singapore, and, and he was talking about his experience of agency. And one of the things that you know, we very briefly touched on was the idea that in some cases, more agency can actually be a challenge for students. And so I'd love to know, you know, from your work and experience with all those different schools, you know, have you come across examples? Do you, you, know, do you often see students rejecting the opportunity to exercise, you know, greater agency than perhaps they had previously? And what would that look like for you? Yeah, I think it's about that idea of self-regulation with children and working out, um, you know, who's ready and who's not ready. It's not, because I think when we think about agency, the other thing that we need to think about, it's not just doing what you want when you want. Agency very much takes into consideration your role within the community and that idea that my actions impact others and impact the environment. And so when we think about agency, we've also got to put it in that context of community. And so there's that understanding as well. So I think, you know, you're working out who your students are, like the number one thing in education, know your students. Right. So I think that's the most important thing. And then working out then what does that look like for those students? How do we promote that idea that they're active participants in their learning, that they're partners in their learning and that they do have some level of control of their learning? And you need to work that out based on where they're at. Which, which seems to me 
you know, you, you have to have a dialogue then at that point, don't you? It's it's very much a two-way, a, a partnership experience as opposed to, you know, I'm the expert, I know what it is that you need to understand or learn over a certain period of time. And I'm thinking back to, you know, your point about timetables and structures that schools often impose on students, but actually to, to have that conversation with students and recognise them as, as individuals as, as much as a, a group that, you know, you happen to have in a classroom for a particular hour, you know, three times a week or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, part of that is also... I mean, thinking about my nephew, who at the moment is writing his own music, producing his own music and songs, his English teacher doesn't even know that. And so, you know, in the meantime, he's got this thing going on at school where he's reading these books and having to write all these essays. And so that idea of, you know, how do we find out what students are interested in then how do we bring that into the learning as well? So I think that's a really big key part of this too is um, having opportunities for students to follow those interests not only outside the school but also within the school and what that looks like as well. So I think that comes into play. But I do think, you know... We make, as educators, decisions for students from so many points of view. And so it's opening that up. So, you know, this is our classroom community. This is not me in charge of it. So we need to set up some routines. What are some routines we can set up? And so there's a reciprocal relationship where students are involved in that decision-making and they can do that from a young age. And the idea being that as that's going along, those routines, those things that we have in place, new issues come up, but we want students to have a say in what that looks like. And it doesn't mean that happens all the time, but that idea that if we're really talking about students having voice, that has to start with that idea that they have that decision-making processes, even within their classrooms, even from the way the furniture is set up or from where materials are placed. So it doesn't have to be this idea that they're writing a policy, but that idea that it can start with young children, even just with that idea that a community of learners involves you making decisions. And again, that community of learners is about you understanding your role within that and that your actions impact others in the environment. Yeah, I think you've sort of implicitly there touched on this idea of, of the breadth of, of learning design. You know, And so often we might think about, I don't know, curriculum design and certain aspects of that but as you said it can go so much further than that you know, to the to the point of the classroom design you know the, the nature of the routines the engagement with students there's another idea that I think we're we're quite interested in at the moment and, and I've heard others talk about is this notion of a of the sort of separation between what some people call life world the sort of you know life beyond the academic environment and then the academic world and it just to me, feels an unnatural and odd distinction to make. And of course, there are differences between any environment that students might, might move between, but nonetheless, the value of you know, bringing into the classroom those experiences, those skills, and so on. I'm sure many of, many of uh, the listeners of the, the podcast today will be thinking, ah, oh, there are so many occasions when I've just had a conversation with a student that I might have known for years and was blown away by something that I had no idea they were, they were into, they were, they were doing, they were pursuing, and, and so much value there, I think, to, to harness, potentially. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that, that ability for students to teach other students to say, this is what I'm really good at, this is what I can offer, also comes into that. You know, that's that self-regulation, that self-understanding about who you are as a person and what you're good at and what you can do and what you can offer. You know, we've got to move away from this idea that the teacher teaches everything, right, that there's, there's a group of learners, that we're a community of learners and we can all share and that can look differently, obviously, in different classes. And, you know, that connection to community, you know, I've been working a lot with schools around that idea that, you know, we need to know our local community. We need to know the people in it. We need to know the places in that because we want students to be able to connect to that. And I think in particular coming out of COVID, 
um, that connection to me is is key. And so it's really looking at your learning and thinking, how can we connect to the community? What does that look like? Because the other thing is, um, you know, really we have we have learning set up, and whilst we have some pathways, it still hasn't changed dramatically in terms of where you go, in terms of university and so on. And so to me, the students don't even know what possibilities exist in their world in terms of jobs, in terms of, you know, with the tech, the changes in technology daily, creating new jobs. And so I think, you know, it's that idea of having an obligation, right, that, that we need to introduce them to people who are doing things that they don't know exist because you just don't know what's going to spark and what's going to get them really, really interested. And if we're not introducing them to new ideas, how can they be passionate? about things they don't know. So I think that comes into that as well, that idea of making sure that we're exposing students to a variety of ideas and a variety of different things that exist within our community. So, so true. And it seems to me that, and you mentioned the technology piece there, you know, today it's so much easier to do that than it probably ever was in many respects. And so one of the things that I'm passionate about is that that becomes a normal part of the learning experience for students as opposed to, you know, the once a year when someone comes in and does an assembly where they talk about, you know, the, their career journey, which is not to say that that's not valuable, but hey, does it have to be limited now in that way? Yeah, absolutely. This, yeah. this feels yeah. like a, a nice moment perhaps to just move on to you know your focus and, and, and thoughts within the inquiry uh, approach to learning the inquiry space how in your view can inquiry and, and various approaches across that promote that sort of student agency that we're talking about I, I don't think you can have agency without inquiry ultimately that's what inquiry is in, inquiry is that idea that we're leaving space within our educational day for students interests we're leaving space in our educational day for wonderment, for curiosity, to spark that passion that I that I talked about. That we're we're negotiating with students throughout the process of inquiry. That we're not making every decision as we go along. And so, to me, inquiry and agency really work really well together because when we talk about inquiry approaches, we're really saying rather than me telling you this, I want to put something down in front of you that you can discover. And by discovering it, you know, you may be interested in it. But by discovering it, even if you've got it wrong, you're starting to construct your own meaning. And ultimately, that's what we're after, right? That, you know, Vygotsky constructivism, um, it still comes up. That idea that you have to be actively involved in your learning to come to an understanding. And so we need to be creating learning engagements that promote thinking, that promote challenge, that promote students learning from one another, that promote that idea of hearing different perspectives, which all leads to further understanding. You know, my work is a lot on conceptual inquiry and understanding. And you always say, you know, understanding is not something I can give a student. They have to find it themselves, right? So I've got to set the environment for that to come out. And it doesn't mean the teacher doesn't have a role. I mean, we're setting up that environment for that, but we're not leading the whole way. I often say to teachers, if you've got a unit of learning and you've filled that, then it's not a student inquiry unit of learning. It's a teacher-directed unit of learning. Unless you're leaving space for interest, for wonderment, for questions, and you're willing to allow students to take that, it's, it's very, very much, you know, I've decided, as we said in the beginning, what you'll learn, when you'll learn it, and how you'll learn it throughout this whole unit of learning. Is there, you know, within your experience here, are there any, ever, I suppose, moments where more agency is not always good? I mean, so for example, 
I think some people think or have worried that, you know, with, with too much agency, students might always choose, and not, not wishing to reduce agency to choice again, but choose to yeah. take the route that they're most comfortable with, to sit within their comfort zone, as opposed to that word challenge you used a moment ago. And, and sometimes challenge requires, you know, a nudge, perhaps, from a teacher, which is part of that learning design. So, so how, how do you think about that sort of need? Yeah, no, no, and I think that's absolutely fine. I mean, it, it's that idea, you know, if you've got one, one student going to the same thing all the time, how do they know what else they'd like if they're not being given an opportunity? So I, I, I think, again, it's that idea of giving students an opportunity to understand who they are and build who they are. It's a bit like you can't say to students, you know, you've got a choice of how you present your work. You can do it through this, 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 this. If you haven't actually introduced them to any of those things, because like, I don't know any of those things. How am I even going to choose one of those things? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so like, you can't say we want you to develop the policy on technology use in the school if they haven't done the research behind it as well. So I think part of it is that scaffolding, if you like, as we move through that, to allow students to be in that space where they feel that they can make choices that work for them. And also just, you know, being able to say to them, saying, look, you've chosen to do this. Have you, is this really where you're at? Because, you know, I think, you know, you might be able to be challenged a little bit more there. And so I think, again, those are conversations. And that's why the thing you have to have before anything is that learning community where students understand that. They understand it's okay to make mistakes. It's under, it's okay to choose the wrong thing at some times as long as you're always challenging yourself and you're always trying to improve who you are. And, you know, part of that also is making sure that we're embedding those soft skills into everything that we do, you know, the, the creativity, the collaboration, the critical thinking, the creative thinking, making sure that they're a part because they're those transferable skills that they're going to take with them for life. And if we're not focusing on them, then, then we're really sort of doing an in-service, if you like, to, to students because that's, that's what they're going to need, right, that flexibility, adaptability and things as well. So that, to me that, that fits really nicely. And the more we give them that sense of agency, the more they're having to be a little bit more creative or critically think about what do I want to do, where do I want to go as well. So I think I see them working well together. You've touched on this idea of sort of future-ready skills, transferable skills, a lot of conversation, I guess, in educational circles about that and, and beyond, I suppose, and in terms of uh, employers and, and so on today. I think lots of educators and probably schools, you know, think, well, well, we obviously develop these kinds of skills because students, you know, come in one end and go out the other end in some sense with, with a greater degree of and a communication skill, uh, a collaboration and so on. But how can schools really start to think about making that journey actively, I suppose, you know, developing actively those skills with students across the, the course of the various journeys they take in their time at school? Yeah, and um, the way I talk about it is that if you're focusing on a particular skill, at the end of that unit, students should be way better at it than when they started. And if they're not, you didn't do it well. You know, because I think sometimes what happens is these, these skills sit in our planners but they're not acted on. And so I always talk about, you know, when you're focusing on skills, the first thing you want to do is make sure students understand what you mean by that skill. We banter the world and analyze around all the time, right? And you'll say to students, what does it actually mean to analyze? And they're like, I don't know, or even, you know, sometimes to teachers. And so I think it's being really clear with students what that means, helping them understand that. And then, well, then how can you get better at that? What's that going to look like? You know, and that often also involves goal setting. Um, it involves helping other people help them develop that skill as well. You know, but really being clear 
because we've got implicit skills, which is what you're talking about, that are happening all the time. So we need to be thinking about what are those explicit ones that we know by the end we want them to get better at and therefore we need to match that up with the learning that we're doing. We can't just assume they're going to be taught. Um, we've got to make sure that as we're planning for learning, as we're negotiating with students the what, when and how of their learning, that those skills are being embedded purposely and that students are, have that reflection time. Um, whenever I like use skills with students, I like them to develop criteria of what success in that skill looks like. So I'm not the one deciding, they're deciding. And that can change as we go along because as we go along, we're learning more about that skill. But then I'm giving them the language for self-reflection. I'm giving them the language for peer reflection as well. And then they know what success looks like, but it's come from them and they know what they need to do to get better. And so that idea that by the end they've really improved in that skill through th their own self-reflection and making decisions about their learning and about how they can improve in that skill. I love the uh, the example you give there of, of actually having that partnership, that conversation with students, not just about how they develop a skill, but what actually the development of that skill would look like. So they, they themselves construct, I suppose, their understanding mm. of whether it's mm. communication, collaboration, analysis, you know, etc. So important. Yeah, I suppose you're, you're putting them into a reflective, almost reflexive sort of you know, conversation there, I suppose. Yeah, I think what, you know, we've got to try and get the students to do more of the heavy lifting with assessment. Um, you know, we, we don't need to do it all. Um, as long as students are really clear about what that success looks like and how they can get there, then they can be far more partners for each other and then self-reflect to, to get to that point where they can improve. Um, you know, working with schools at the moment with this idea of, of understanding and different levels of understanding, but then having students upload their own work and say, well, yeah, I think I've hit this because of this, or I think I've hit this one because of this. So we're not the ones having to find everything all the time. But, you know, and to me, that's also a part of agency, that idea that, no, you're in control now of deciding where you think you fit along this continuum and you're the one that's got to, you know, and I always say teachers, like before they put the work up there, they've got to go to someone else and check with another student. So this whole idea that we're getting them to do more of the heavy lifting than us doing it all the time as educators. I love the sort of image that, that for me that brings to mind of, of almost a, that's a community of learners, as you said, isn't it? But the network and the connections then, if one was to sort of graph those out between students are as rich and, and diverse, I suppose, as in, well, I suppose to, to rephrase that, you know, you've just got a much richer web of connections going backwards and forwards, as opposed to, a one-to-one -one relationship with a teacher and our student, even though you've got, you know, 20, maybe more students in a particular classroom. So there's such a rich opportunity there for that collaborative kind of growth, I suppose. Yeah, well, Dylan William always talks about, right, that students are resources for each other and that's what we want to promote. And so, you know, if you build that community, you can do that. Um, and, and if you build that understanding of giving feedback but having them something to give feedback on, it's when they don't have anything, you get, oh, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's good, and that's where it ends. Um, but it's that whole idea, of course, that we, we want to feed forward. And we need to give students the language in which to do that. And it's the language of their learning in a way. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of times uh, technology. 
you know, thinking about the way the world is changing, and obviously technology is one of the ways in which the world is changing rapidly. What do you see as the role of technology, I guess, you know, in, in schools in, in one sense, but particularly thinking about these future-focused skills and the development of those, support of those? Yeah, I think it's key. Technology is in students' world far more than it is in a lot of their teachers' world because they've, they've grown up with it from the start. And so it's something that, it's that idea that you've got to harness that technology and use it well. You know, and so it's thinking about, you know, so if we're going to have iPhones, how do we use it as a learning tool? Not just this idea that it's a bad thing because there's so much to be learned from that. So to me, it's this idea, how do you leverage technology successfully, right? But also it's thinking of technology. I think people think of technology as devices. It's, it's thinking of technology way beyond that. You know, you've got the language of coding, of course. We've got our robotics. We've got all of that that comes into technology. You know, and to me, it's also part of that is also that design process that we want to be really pushing in schools. And so where is that opportunity for students to build? You know, I, I love doing units where, in particular with elementary students, where at least one year level is doing a unit on structures where they actually have to build one, like physically build it. And so, you know, to me, that's technology too as well because you're going through that process. And so I, I think we've got to look at it as you know, so often students are consumers of technology, but it's that idea of how can they be creators within that domain of technology. And there's so many amazing programs that they probably don't know exist that could just really harness their creativity and, and allow them, you know, prototypes, then bringing it, you know, to fruition, and then they have this, this thing that they've made. So I think it's, yeah, I think this idea of, you know, I don't know, we stop children using technology I think it's just unrealistic and and obviously the key is they're using it socially so the most important thing I think schools need to do is just have them understand what that means and the implications for their future life from what they're putting up or what they're saying or what they're doing now so it is all that di digital citizenship again right you've got the agency to go on but your actions impact others and they impact that space. And so, you know, I think really clear understanding of that. So, I mean, technology is so big. It's just so big. <laughs> and changing all the time. I mean, you've got those programs at the moment where kids just sit at a computer and if they get a sum wrong, it takes them somewhere else. And and, and to me, but there's there's a ton of soft skills not being looked at there, right? And, and, you know, collaboration is so key, I think, in our schools. It's not to say that that doesn't have a place, but it shouldn't be totally replaced. Yeah, it feels as if uh, with those sort of adaptive programs that you're talking about, and, and I can see some value in, in certain ways, but they can be deeply isolating actually they take us far away from the sort of pro-social approaches that, that we've been talking about today and to me also feel that they, they leverage a tiny a tiny portion of what technology is able to offer today and, and exactly. when overused yeah. and over indexed on i think that's that's a real problem potentially but i suppose we're sort of coming towards the end of of our time chatting today it's been fab uh, listening to you and, and so much insight there tanya uh, i'd just like to ask you if I may to sort of step back from from the detail of day to day for a minute and think about I suppose the last 20 or so years in education and, and, and your experience looking right the way across the schools you have how have you seen you know education change in that period of time you know whether that's in the conversations or, or the interactions you're having with teachers and, and school leaders or, or students themselves perhaps yeah I think um, well different schools are at different stages I think of, of implementation I mean we're, we're talking about inquiry and it's been around 
I mean, I don't think it hasn't been around since Dewey, you know, possibly before. And we're talking about understanding and concepts which have been around since Bruner, um, you know, who created his manner course of study. So I don't think we're not talking about anything new necessarily. I think the new parts, the technology that enables that to happen a little bit more, in particular that social context for for children and and that socialisation through technology. So to me, it's it's that idea. Um, I think there is more of a focus now in all the schools I'm working with. We're really looking at understanding we're looking at the conceptual nature of learning so we're moving away from this idea of memorizing isolated facts and actually saying well how do we use those to develop an understanding about our world how do we use those to solve issues in our world how do we use all of that to solve problems within our world so I'm definitely seeing the shift there you know as I said in the schools I've been working with I'm really trying to bring in that idea of students doing something with their learning. So now that I've learned this, what can I do with it? Um, I really want that purpose of learning to be really clear for students. So I'm seeing a lot more purposeful learning, I would say, and relevant. Um, you know, you don't need to to spend ages doing the seasons when you live in Singapore because it's not a phenomenon students can experience. It doesn't mean they don't need to know about it, but you can't inquire into it. So that idea of what's relevant for your context where you are. So I think a lot more schools are looking at that sort of thing. And, of course, you have technology, you know, with, with STEM, STEAM, whatever you want to call it, whichever one you're going for. But, you know, again, I think we, it's the idea of moving that away from we have a lesson to just embedding it into everything that we do. So it's just... It becomes a natural part of our curriculum, kind of not an add-on. And I think that's where, you know, then there'll be a, and that well-being idea, well, it should be embedded into everything we do. You know, we don't do well-being on a Friday afternoon or well-being, you know, for 10 minutes a day. It, it should be just a part, again, of that classroom community. So I think um, that's where schools are heading now, really looking at how can you embed those ideas more rather than it sort of being seen as a, a time in a place, again, within a structure of a school timetable. I feel like agency and, and its connection to well-being is probably a whole other podcast we, <laughs> we might need it to is, do that. It is, it is. But um, I, just picking up on one, one, one point you made there that this idea of you know uh, solving issues having impact and again for me that that seems to be a place where technology available today has really changed the game you know students students can put a website up or reach you know millions potentially billions of people uh, literally you know in the space of a few minutes if they so choose and, and that I guess the power of that to have impact then is, is huge and therefore the authenticity of, of what they're doing and learning of course and the engagement driving there absolutely and I think it's also you know working with a, a a tech teacher not long ago and we were looking at this whole idea of students creating websites but actually going into their community and finding out if they're people who needed a website so then you've got that real audience as well right and it's it's massively authentic and that's what I mean by that authenticity I mean there could be organizations within our community that need an app developed that need these things so I think um that real audience just lifts the stakes and and gives students that sense that they are contributing to the community again you know the idea of you can have a positive impact on your community as a part of agency as well and that's what I mean I just keep saying know your community know the people the places the organizations because you just don't know what learning can come out of that and that idea of can we move that audience from beyond school, I guess, you know, to the wider audience within that community and what that could look like as well. So important, building those bridges between those two. It's a false dichotomy, isn't it, really, the kind of mm. distinction between those. But 
We are pretty much out of time, Tanya. So uh, as much as I'd love to go on and, uh, and dive into all of these different threads for, for hours still to come, you know, really just you know, a huge thanks. But I know that there'll be many listeners who would be interested in, in following your work in more detail, you know, getting into some of these topics that, that we've touched on here today. So what's the best way for, for listeners to, to follow or get in touch? So they can follow me on Twitter at IGE Educators. If you looked up Tanya Latanzio, you'd find me. I also have a Facebook page, Innovative Global Education. My website is www.innovativeglobaled.org. So all those places. Um, but I'm pretty accessible. Even if you looked up my name, you'd find places and ways to follow me. Fabulous. And we'll put all those in the show notes as well for, for anybody so it's easy to find them too. But uh, Tanya, once again, thank you so much. So much insight, so much experience. Uh, it's been a joy chatting. And uh, yeah, I'd really like at some point to, to have you on again. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. No, I'd love that. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always, um, yes, I could talk about education all day, but I shan't bore people that much. But thank you very much for the opportunity. And yeah, I'd love to hear what people think or if anyone has any questions about anything I've said, please feel free to, to contact me. It's always great to sort of hear the aftermath and, and where people might take that or what they might do with it, or just even if it's just promoted some reflective thinking. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you. So that was Tanya Latanzio sharing her wealth of experience in learning design. Thank you, Tanya, for joining us on the podcast. So much there to reflect on. Don't forget, you can follow up with Tanya via Twitter, her Facebook page or website. and All these are linked in the show notes. Until our next episode, thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.